it starts off, this is what the Lord says. So it's something we need to give attention to, isn't it? This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not prosper when it, when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It lives, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs it did not lay is the man who gains riches by unjust means. When his life is half gone, they will desert him, and in the end he will prove to be a fool. A glorious throne, exalted from the beginning, is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust, because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are the one I praise. Amen. <clears throat> but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. We'll get those ones as we go. Uh, all right, we're in John chapter 8 and uh, verse 1 to verse 11 this morning. And uh, we're going to be looking at the woman who was caught in adultery. And uh, just to kind of get us a bit of a picture here, this is where we're going to be for the next few chapters in John's Gospel. Uh, Jesus has gone up to the Mount of Olives, which is this green little area here. And uh, he's now going back into the temple, which is the big part there. You can see that big square building, a rectangle. That's where Jesus is now. He's teaching uh, out there uh, at this moment in time. And they bring this woman caught in adultery to Jesus. That's the, the situation that we're, that we're looking at um, this morning. So, uh, so we're looking at this morning this idea of there being no condemnation. And uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we are not people who naturally gravitate towards mercy, kindness, and grace toward others. If we're being honest with each other, if, we're, if I'm honest, and if you're honest this morning, we're not that type of people who naturally gravitate towards showing people mercy, showing kindness, and showing grace toward other people. Uh, if you're caught in traffic, if someone cuts you off, if someone says something nasty to you, if someone hurts you, if a, a family member or a friend hurts you in some way or betrays you in some way, the, the natural inclination, the natural response that we show is impatience, right? It is harshness, is how dare you treat me like this? And it's bitterness that begins to uh, seep into the core of who we are. It's gossip and slander behind people's backs. It's, it's throwing a pity party for ourselves. But we're not naturally given towards showing people mercy and grace. That's not natural in us to show people kindness uh, if they do things uh, toward us. The other thing that's not natural for us is that we're not people who, who are prone to search our own hearts to see what's going on in here. We are people who naturally like to expose others for their sins and judge others for the things that they do wrong. And, and we would never do it though. You know, we, we are not those type of people who would do that thing. Even though really down deep in, we, we really are at times. So those are two things about us that if everyone was to put up a hand of honesty this morning, we don't naturally gravitate towards mercy, kindness, and grace. And we don't naturally search our own hearts to see our own sins. It's far easier to point out the sins of other people. It's far easier to do that. So uh, bearing those things in mind, this is what we're going to look at here with the who is Jesus then? Because what we begin to do then is we begin to create a God in our own image. And what we begin to do is we think if, if we are like that towards people who sin against us, how must God be towards people who sin, right? And we begin to create this image of God based on who we are, that, that God would act like this towards sinners as well. And what we find with Jesus and this woman is a very, very different uh, scenario. So just setting the scene a little bit in verse 1 to verse 2, Jesus has gone up to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he comes back again to the temple courts. All the people are gathered round, and he's sitting down, and he's teaching them. John 7, which we looked at last time, was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Everyone was pitching out for a week, remember, in their booths, in their tents, and they've Pack them all home, and off they go back home again. Jesus, instead of going home, because he lives in Galilee, 
he goes up to the Mount of Olives that we looked at uh, for the night. Now, Jesus, God in the flesh, comes back down to Jerusalem to the temple this morning, this day here. The day before, the final day of the, pe- of the feast, there's people who begin to believe in Jesus. It says in John 7, and many began to believe in what he was saying. So now he's back down in the temple teaching these people who believed what he was saying. So that's setting the scene for us this morning as we consider our own hearts not naturally gravitating towards mercy and grace and not naturally searching my own heart, but instead seeing the sins and others as well. It's so much easier for me to know all of your sins than to know my own, right? I know all yours. I have a better record of yours than I do my own. How crazy is that? Because I live with me 24-7, and I see you guys a few hours a week. And yet, uh, what happens in our own flesh is we see the sins of others instead. So let's, let's look at this. Let's look at what happens here uh, in this story. We have in verse 1 to verse 9, or verse 3 to verse 9, these religious leaders. These are the religious elite at the time. These are the people that everyone looks up to as the holy ones. These are the perfect people, the ones who know God's law, the ones who really love God, who really love Moses, right? This is, these are the people that we're looking at here. And they, they bring this woman to Jesus. The first three, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group. So they bring in this woman. She's been caught in sin. She's been sleeping with another man who's not her husband. And this is serious. It's serious today. And it's far more serious back then. This is something, sadly, that's become an acceptable in our culture. But their culture did not accept adultery. And so here we have this woman who has been caught committing adultery. And they, these religious leaders bring them before Bring her before Jesus. But the religious leaders want Jesus dead, right? These religious leaders want Jesus dead and at least arrested. They hate Jesus. He's healed people on the Sabbath. He's claimed to be equal with God. He's drawing the people away from them to himself instead. And so they're really angry at Christ. And what they do is they use this woman as a pawn, Uh, To get something uh, that they want from Jesus. They need to find a way to bait and trap Jesus. They want to find a way to trap him. They need to get him arrested. Or at the very least expose him as the false teacher that he is. So they bring this woman to him. This woman who'd been caught in sexual sin. And, And it says here in these verses. She'd been caught in the very act of the sexual sin. Okay. So this is, this is, she's, this is no, like, there's no excuses. There's no, oh, I was, you know, this is a lie here. It says in verse 4, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And they drag her to the temple compound and they present her before Jesus. And they say this to Jesus in verse 5. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? You, you who have been quoting Moses to us all this time, you who've been telling us that we don't love Moses, but you know Moses, you've been telling us that, that we, even though we've read and we memorized all of Moses' writings, and we're his followers, but you tell us we don't love Moses? Well, here's this woman caught in adultery. Here she is, and Moses' law says, stone her. What do you say? 
You've been gone on about Moses for quite some time, Jesus. Well, here we are. We believe what Moses says about stoning a woman caught in adultery. We're prepared to obey his commands. What about you? Well, before we move on, what does Moses actually say in the law? What does Moses actually say in the law? And um, we'll go, so this is what Jesus has been saying that's, that they've been unhappy with. There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you've set your hope. If you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote of me, but you don't believe him. And has not Moses given you the law? You don't keep the law, Jesus says. And they bring this woman like, well, we're prepared to keep the law, are you? Well, again, what does Moses say? Leviticus 20, verse 10. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And in Deuteronomy, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman as well. Now, again, 21st century, this is very difficult to read and be like, what? But this is the law. This is what they signed up for. This is the law they agreed to. God was like, do you want this law? And they said, yes, we want this law. So they agree to this law. Uh, Adultery is punishable by death. Now, look at these verses here. And remember, John 8, what's missing in this? What's missing in John chapter 8? Bearing in mind what we're seeing here. The man. The man's missing. And what what have they just said to Jesus? We caught her. In the very act of committed adultery. But we don't have the man with us. So, but we just have this woman. So they, they haven't brought the man. If the woman was caught in the very act of adultery as they claim here. Then where is the man she was caught in the act of adultery with? I tell you, this must have broken the heart of Jesus. Because he is compassionate towards sinners. And he has made this woman. And he has made these men. He's the creator. He made this woman. He's watched her develop in the womb. He's watched her come as a child. He's watched her grow uh, through her life. And now she's committed adultery. And he's watched these men knitted in the womb. And these men grow to be boys and grow to be men. And he's in his perfect creation. In perfect creation, it would have had these people living in harmony and love towards one another. And instead, we see these men dragging this woman and using her as a pawn for their own plans. And it it breaks the heart of God to see humans treat each other that way when that's not actually uh, what he intended in the first place. So then what we see next is that Jesus begins to... Uh, to write, Jesus begins to, we'll just keep it there. Jesus begins to write something uh, on the ground. And that says in verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. To take him to the Romans and say, look, this guy wants to kill people. That's against your law. Get, get rid of him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. So Jesus is sitting. Then he stoops over and he begins to write something on the dust in the temple. Here's the thing, we don't know what he writes. We don't know because it doesn't tell us what he writes. And there's lots of guessing about what he writes. But the reality is there's no answer given to us. So we don't know what it is. But the fact that he's writing is interesting. What did Jesus claim to be or claim to give in John chapter 7? Jesus claimed to give living water in John chapter 7. These men have rejected the living water and now he's writing something on the ground. Well, what Brian read this morning in Jeremiah 17. O Lord, the hope of all Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. 
Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth or written in the dust, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Now again, we don't know what was written down uh, on this day, but it is fitting that they've forsaken uh, Jesus as the Lord, forsaken him as the living water, and now he's writing something down uh, on the ground. Well, we see uh, the next thing that happens is they, they begin to push him further and press him for an answer. In verse 7, they kept on questioning him. Right, So he's writing something down, we don't know what it is, but they keep on pressuring him. What do you have to say? What do you have to say about this woman and the law of Moses? And Are we not going to stone her to death like Moses says? And it says here that Jesus straightened up. And he says to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he gets back down. And he writes on the ground again. And again, we don't know what it is that he was writing. Jesus essentially says in verse 7, All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's kill her. Whoever among you who are the witnesses of this act, whoever of you hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. You see, back in the law of Moses, a witness had to be the first person to throw the stone. So it wasn't just nobody. It couldn't just be anyone who threw a stone at, the, at someone to kill them. Uh, this is a, a capital punishment, and it had to be a witness of the act who threw the first stone. And Jesus says, "Okay, let's do it. Let's kill her. And if one of you, one of you guys who, who claimed to be the witnesses who caught her in the fairy act, throw away you here without sin, and then we'll all kill her. Then we'll go for it. If that's what you want, right? One of you, one of you sinless ones, you go first, and then we'll all." throw at her and we'll all kill her and he sits back down again and he begins to write and as they stood as he stood there as they stood there it says surrounded by the crowd the crowd who are listening to jesus's teaching because remember this is a big crowd of people who are here the pharisees have brought this woman into the crowd and are saying what are you going what are you going to do about this woman jesus and the crowd are watching and listening and looking at all of this and it says one by one with Jesus just sitting there, hunched over, riding on the dust, looking down, riding on the dust, each of them walks away. From the oldest, it says, or it could be the most senior amongst them, to the youngest, or the one with the, the, the least rank amongst them. They all eventually turn and walk away, because they, they're not righteous. They're not sinless people. They're not without sin. And yet they wanted to kill this woman. So we are left then in verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And so what we have now is this crowd of people who were there originally, and Jesus and this woman, and this crowd of people around them. And Jesus looks up and sees her now standing uh, on her own. So verse 9 to verse 11. All the religious leaders have left. It says it's just Jesus and the woman alone now. It could literally be just Jesus and her alone. Or again, it could be the two of them alone in the middle of this crowd of people that were around listening to Jesus' teaching. He stands up and he comes towards her. It says in verse 10, he straightened up. He stood up and he, and he comes towards this woman. This is God in the flesh coming towards a woman who's just been caught in sin he says to her, woman, in verse 10. And remember, woman is a respectful term. Okay, it's not a, it's not a 
woman like we would do today. It's, it's woman, it's, it's dear, it's a kind thing to say. And he asks her this question, where are those who caught you and who were so keen to have you killed? Have none of them lifted the first stone? Or basically, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where are the ones who, who dragged you in here? Where are the ones who were so eager to put you to death? Where are the ones who were casting blame and wanting to cast stones? Have none of them lifted the first stone? And she says, no one. No one. And she says, uh, sir in the NIV, or Lord in another translation, basically, curios, which is a really high term to give Jesus here. No one, Lord. And look at this. This is from God in the flesh in verse 11. Then neither do I condemn you. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus could have condemned her. Jesus as fully God, was also a witness of this act that was taking place. Because he knows the hearts of men. Right? He's God. He sees all things. He knows all things. He's always present. He healed a little boy from 20 miles away with words. Like three chapters ago. He's like, your boy's sick? Yeah, he's nearly dead. All right, he's healed now. And he, <laughs> from 20 miles away. So Jesus saw what was happening. Jesus witnessed this woman commit adultery. He's one of the witnesses. He is the only witness without sin who could actually throw the first stone. And look what he says. Then neither do I condemn you. Then neither do I condemn you. He knows her heart. He knows that she's guilty of this act. But he doesn't condemn her. Why does he not condemn her? That's what she deserves. She deserves this. She's been caught in the act of adultery. Well, again, it says in God's word, in the gospel of John, it says that Jesus came to bring grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace means undeserved kindness. John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so he says to this woman who deserves condemnation, I do not condemn you either. While we're in John 3, consider again what it says in verse 19 to 21. When it talks about the light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And what happens to these religious leaders who brought this woman to condemn her? They slink away back into the darkness again because their deeds are evil. They, the righteous ones, walk away condemned. But this woman who is caught in the act of sin comes towards the light as a sinner. And Jesus says to her, I do not condemn you either. And he gives her mercy and forgiveness. This sinful woman stood face to face with God and walked away uncondemned. Neither do I condemn you. But he says to her uh, as well in verse 10, or verse 11, he says, go now and leave your life of sin. Or it says in another translation, go and sin no more. This final statement that Jesus makes towards this woman, it shows us that God, Jesus, isn't lenient towards sin. All right? It's not that he doesn't take sin seriously. He's merciful towards sinners, 
But he doesn't condone sin. And he doesn't condone sexual sin either. He's really serious about sin. He doesn't say to this woman, neither do I condemn you. Go ahead and continue committing adultery. He says, go away, go now, free, and leave that lifestyle of sin that you're committing. And not long after this conversation with this woman, Jesus is going to be tortured. He's going to be marched up a hill carrying a wooden beam. He's going to be stripped naked and his hands and feet are going to be nailed to wood. He's going to be hoisted up to hang by nails in agony in the heat of the sun. And while hanging there, the sexual sin of that woman was going to be added onto him as if he had been the woman caught in adultery. The Holy Son of God would take her sin onto himself. And then God the Father would pour out his holy, righteous fury upon Jesus instead of pouring it out upon that woman. Her shame, he took it hanging naked. Her agony, he took it being tortured and pierced. Her guilt, he took it bearing sin. Her condemnation, he bore it, taking God's wrath. Her death, he faced it, dying on the cross. That's why she could go free from condemnation. Not because God is easy on sin, but because God is hard on sin. And because God is so hard on sin, and yet so kind toward us, that the Godhead chose to take that hardness upon themselves. So the people like this woman could walk away free. When Jesus says to her, go and sin no more, go and leave your life of sin, he was essentially telling her, go free. You're free. Go free from condemnation, because I don't condemn you. And go free from a sinful life. Sin no more. It's becoming common for people to say, Jesus loves you as you are. And he really does. He loves us as we are. What good news. But he doesn't want us to stay that way. He loves us as we are so much so that he wants to transform us into his people. And it's his grace that transforms us, not law. It's mercy, not law. She, this woman here that we're looking at, she may have never committed adultery again. And what changed her life in those moments? What stopped this woman? What would, what would be the thing in her mind the next time she's tempted towards this sin? What would have been the thing in her mind as she goes towards, as she thinks about it, as she's tempted once again? Well, it wasn't because she stood face to face with men with stones, but because she stood face to face with a God of mercy. It's mercy that changes people. It's grace that transforms us, not commands. And that's why John says, the law came through Moses, but grace through Jesus. And what we're learning in John's gospel, and this is challenging for me to consider again, what we're learning in John's gospel is that it isn't sin that prevents people from coming to Jesus. It's self-righteousness. It's smugness. It's justifying ourselves. It's excusing ourselves. It's busy judging others instead of looking within. It's refusing to see our own sin as sin. It's stubborn, ugly pride. And it's hypocrisy. 
That's what stops people from coming. This woman caught in sin came towards him and was forgiven. These religious leaders, full of self-righteousness, walked away condemned. So if you're a Christian this morning, you're not condemned. He does not condemn you. We have broken the commandments of God, each and every one of us. We are worthy of judgment and condemnation. Death is ours by rights. But scripture says, for those in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. Whenever sin it constantly keeps coming to your mind, you're like, but what about this sin? What about this thing I did those years back? Or what about that thing I did last week or last month? There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Praise God that sexual sin can be forgiven. Praise God that anger and pride can be forgiven. Praise God that gluttony and greed can be forgiven. Praise God that selfishness and covetousness can be forgiven. Whatever besetting sin in your life can be forgiven. The sins of the week gone by, whatever they were, no matter how unclean or worthless or ugly they make you feel, are forgiven in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. But I want you to consider something else for us as believers when it comes to our own sin. We are so glad that this is true. We're so glad this is true when it comes to our own sin. But when it comes to the sins of others, are we more like Jesus or are we like the religious leaders? Right? When it comes to the sins of others, are we like Jesus, prone to mercy, prone to grace and kindness and compassion? Or are we like these religious leaders, prone to judgment, prone to accusation? Prone to harboring bitterness and unforgiveness. If that woman saw those religious leaders again in the street, what would she do? She would completely avoid them. But if she was walking down that street and she saw Jesus again, what would she do? A holy God. She would be gravitated towards him because of mercy and compassion. So how should we treat people caught in sin, lost in sin, stuck in sin? With mercy and grace. Bringing in the truth of the good news. And what about those who sinned against us? Are we like Jesus? Or are we like these men? David says every sin we commit is first and foremost against God. And then it's against others. So this woman caught in adultery was sinning against her husband and against that other man's wife. But she was also sinning against God first. And yet Jesus, God in the flesh, shows her mercy. We're so quick to embrace this forgiveness for ourselves, but we're so slow to accept this forgiveness for others. Whatever sin you're angry at someone for, for committing against you, have you never committed that sin against others? Have you never done it? Are you without sin? Then throw the stone. But if you search your heart honestly, you too have this sin. No, you're not. If you would be honest and humble and searching this morning, that forgiveness that you need and crave for yourself is what we have to extend toward others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Friends, there's so much of these religious leaders in us. So much of it. And how we treat people and how we treat each other uh, in sin. And to finish off this morning, if you're not a Christian and you're here in this room, and first of all, I'm sorry if you've experienced the ugliness 
of Christians casting their judgmental gaze on you. Because that's not what we're supposed to be about. I'm sorry if you've heard harsh words from those who name Jesus as Lord. I'm sorry if you feel that you can't be real around Christians lest you be judged by them. The reality is that we Christians are deeply sinful. The difference between us Christians and you if you're not a Christian is not that we're really good people. But that we're really forgiven people by a good God and a merciful God, Jesus Christ. The best thing you can ever do with your sin is to acknowledge it as sin. Stop hiding behind the excuses. Stop casting judgmental gazes on others and ignore your own evils. Own it and bring it to Jesus and experience the freedom and forgiveness he died to give you and me as well. I love these verses of scripture. This is who Jesus is. Uh, He's going to condemn one time. When he comes in the future, he is going to be the judge. But in, in that moment of history, and in this moment of history, he's a God who is extending grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion. And he wants you to come and receive that, Christian and non-Christian. And if you're a Christian, what he's calling for you, by his grace in you, is to do the same. To extend the same to all around us as well. Well, that's it for this morning. The Gospel of John, Jesus Christ as God, dwelling in the midst of his people. I hope that's been a help and encouragement to look at. And we're just going to come together and sing.